following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Elijah was, according to Scripture in the book of James, a man just like we are. The cry of my heart is to be a man like Elijah was. We've been speaking this week about the Elijah Company, there have been certain marks that define that Elijah company. Let me just quickly again remind you of these marks of the Elijah company. For we live in a day when Ahab rules and Jezebel rules. Our political system in America is broken. Men with agendas, I can be very specific, men with agendas of free trade, which has destroyed the middle class income. It has left cities like Detroit and Flint and other great cities totally in ruins. We were warned by a man by the name of Ross Perot that if they passed these free trade agreements, there would be a great sucking sound as our jobs were bled off and our companies were bled off to Mexico and to China. And then on top of that, the government passed an extreme, the highest in the world of any nation, of a corporate tax. So the government's plan was to move our manufacturing sector into third world countries. This has decimated America. It's called globalization. Any Christian who votes for a politician who favors unlimited immigration, who favors free trade. Any politician today who votes for interventionism, intervening in other nations as we have in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and other nations, any politician who is in favor of these things, is a part of the Antichrist. Well, let's be very straight. It's time to call the Antichrist by his name. And the Antichrist is in favor, and there are many Antichrists, by the way, but the final manifestation is going to be a global manifestation. It is going to be 
a man or a woman, a person filled with demon power who comes to establish a one-world government, or if you please, a caliphate. Now, I listen to the current politicians of our day, whether they be Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders, or if I listen to Marco Rubio, or I listen to a number of other politicians, they are against America. They are for one world government. They are status. They are establishment people. They are part of the, the elite. As Christians, we need to be very conscious and aware that the modern politicians, almost without exception, have bought into the lie of destroying America. President Obama has instituted policies. He has instituted directives that are destroying the nationalism of America. Why would they do that? Because they consider themselves a part of a, a global one-world organization. They consider themselves to be above America. Frankly, the evidence shows that they hate American nationalism. They do not want the Constitution they don't want the Bill of Rights, and they are doing everything in their power to eviscerate. Well, all of that leads us to Ahab and Jezebel. And we have Ahabs and Jezebels that have taken over the American political process, that have taken over the judiciary who have taken over the executive, who have utterly taken over each portion of our government, the agencies, Department of Education. Now, we have to look at this not through the eyes of a national posture, but through the eyes of a Christian, of a God-man, a God-woman, and recognize that America has been blessed by Almighty God beyond that of any nation in history. And these men and women are doing all they can with their lies, with their directives, with their rhetoric, to destroy America. Because a weak America can be brought into a one-world government. Now, 
Now, obviously, we are at the end of time, and it is time for the one-world government to emerge. But that does not mean that I will support it, and I will not remain quiet about it. It is time for us as Christians to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, as strangers and aliens in this world. It breaks my heart to hear Christians supporting a Hillary Clinton or a Marco Rubio or I could name others. Now, I don't like the kind of person that Donald Trump is. I don't like the pride and the arrogance. He reminds me of Cyrus in the Old Testament. He reminds me of Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar. But I do want to say the enemies of Donald Trump are for the most part enemies of America. I would be proud to have them as my enemies as well. You see, my interest is not patriotism. My interest is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so I don't look at these politicians through political glasses. I look at them through moral glasses. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. That's not my business. But I am trying to be clear that the judgments of God are going to come upon this nation because of the wickedness of our leadership and the wickedness of people who are malleable, apathetic, tolerant, and who will not choose to stand up for righteousness. Now, if you haven't guessed it already, I am not a tolerant man. Tolerance is way down low on my level of values. If tolerance means put up with every evil thing and not raise a voice against it, then I am not tolerant. I'm not judgmental of others, but I am not accepting of the wickedness of our age. I'm not willing to do milquetoast sermons and approve of the darkness that is flooding into our nation. It is reprehensible to me. It makes me want to vomit. I listen to these arrogant, proud, boastful men and women. They sound to me like Nebuchadnezzar before the Lord Jesus grabbed him and transformed him into a humble servant of the Most High. There's nothing new in the world. Everything revolves. What has been will be. And we are seeing Babylon rise up. Now, as we have looked at Elijah, 
there are several marks that we need to understand, and I'm going to review those again with you because they are of such utmost importance. Elijah refused to accept or compromise with Baal. Baal was the god of fire, the god of prosperity, the god they believed who brought the rain. Baal, Baal, it's the same personage, it's the same god. And you have been hearing me this week calling for an Elijah company, not a Republican company, not a Democrat company, not an independent company, but an Elijah company. Men and women of God who will stand up and call sin by its name. Men and women who are willing to stop all compromise with evil. And secondly, men and women who, recognizing the evil, are willing to pray for judgment unto repentance. I will never pray for the destruction of America under God's judgment. I love America with all my heart. I love the people of America. But we have sinned so grossly against the Most High. His judgment will come upon this nation. I am pleading that that judgment would first come under repentance. For I am praying that America will turn back to the living God of heaven. Now, number three, the Elijah Company will be most of the time hidden away. Hidden away in the prayer closet. Hidden away in small, seemingly insignificant churches. Hidden away at the brook Cherith, hidden away with the widow of Zarephath, hidden away until called forth onto the stage to speak boldly the word of God. Now this Elijah company receives provision from the hand of God. The ravens fed Elijah, and then the widow at Zarephath, where the flour did not run out and the cruise of oil did not go dry. Provision comes from the hand of God. Now it is also clear that a Mount Carmel is coming to America. Mount Carmel is coming to America. I just heard this morning that the Sports Authority is closing a lot of their stores. Thousands of employees are being released, losing their jobs. I just heard this is frightening. Let me see if I can quickly bring it up for you.
Yes, here it is. Kansas State employees have been notified of a 51% cut to their pensions. If you were banking on a $2,000 a month retirement pension, now it will be $1,000. The Central States Pension Fund that covers 400,000 state employees will be completely broke within 10 years. Beginning perhaps later this year or 2017, we will learn of systemic breakdowns in pension funds, reported by Martin Armstrong. And here is the notice on Sports Authority. They're shutting down one-third of their stores, 140 stores across the country, two distribution centers in Chicago and Denver, and 5,000 jobs gone overnight. That's what's happening in America. A great calamity is coming to our nation. And that calamity will precipitate Mount Carmel. I pray that when these Mount Carmels begin to happen around the country, that men and women will truly repent. Now, the Mount Carmel experience with Elijah, the fire of God came down, the prophets of Baal are executed, but it only lasts until Ahab can get home and tell Jezebel what has happened, and Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, I will have you assassinated by this time tomorrow. I will kill you. And Elijah has had enough. Now I wish that Elijah had had the courage to stand up in the face of Jezebel's threat for no assassin could have touched him, but he didn't know that. I think he was probably heartbroken at this message, not so much because of Jezebel's threat to his life, but because he recognized that the revival that had just begun had just ended. This is why we must cry out for revival that will not end, for revival that will be carried by godly men and women that cannot be stopped all over this nation. It is time for God's people to turn aside from the flesh and seek the Lord with all of our hearts to cry out to the Lord for his deliverance. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under a tree and he fell asleep. Now what I love about this story is that Elijah did not run to eat or to drink or to get drunk. He didn't do what Noah did. Noah was so traumatized by the flood, the first thing he did was plant his vineyard and then 
make his wine and get drunk. I praise God. Elijah had no interest in getting drunk. He had only one interest. And this is why I love Elijah. His only interest, his only interest was to get to God. Until the only interest of our heart is to get to Jesus Christ, nothing's going to happen with revival. We're going to have to give up our televisions. We're going to have to give up our football and our baseball and all of the smorgasbord of entertainment, the bread and the circus. We're going to have to give all of that up and we're going to have to seek Jesus with all of our hearts if we are going to survive the storm that is coming upon our nation. We're going to have to be able to hear from God, and to hear from God, you have to get to God. And some of you are so many months away from God, if a crisis came, you would die before you could get to his throne. time to get to God. Now, I also love in this story the clearly understood reality that the work of God is too big for a man or a woman. I tell you honestly, the work of this radio is much too big for me. I'm not getting the thank you notes written to the precious brothers and sisters who are sending resources to keep us on the air, and that just breaks my heart. I have a whole stack of letters that I need to be writing, but I have been too exhausted, too many phone calls, and I've just run to the prayer closet. I've run to God. Too many visits, too many sermons, too many Bible studies. I can't successfully do the work of God to bring revival. It's much too big a task. I love that Elijah understood that. He knew all he could do is use the last ounces of his strength and his energy to get to God. I know today as I do this broadcast, some of you are exhausted. You've been through financial wars. You've lost your wife or your husband You've been crying out for your children for their conversion and there seems to be no answer from heaven. You've been giving to the work of God until you don't know how you can give another dime. The expenses are increasing and your income is decreasing. You're heavy laden, you're burdened. I'm glad that Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
We've got to get to Jesus. We've got to get to God. Now, it's also of interest to me that Elijah was not trying to get to God in order to gain strength for the battle ahead. He wasn't trying to use God to get something so he could go do what he felt he needed to do. He wanted to get to God because God was the ruler of heaven and earth. He wanted to get to God because he wanted to get down to the basics again. He wanted a fresh revelation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Not so he could use God, but so that he could be used of God. He'd utterly run out of steam. He had no more fight in him. And all he wanted to do was go and be with God. Not go and be with God so he could go and do. He just wanted to be with Jesus. He just wanted God for God's sake. He just wanted God. I love that. And I tell you honestly, my heart cries out just to be with God. It is enough for me to simply be in the presence of Jesus and rest in him. I don't need anything else. That is everything. Now, if he still wants me to do the work of ministry, I'm willing to be his servant. And I will go and I will do as he directs me to go and do. And as he sends me the resources and he sends me the brothers and the sisters, then we'll keep doing the work of God because, because we love him. Not so that we can accomplish something, not so that we can be somebody. We're nobody. We just want Jesus. goes to sleep again and a second time the angel of the Lord comes and touches him and says get up and eat for the journey is too much for you I'm going to say something that many of you will not understand because many of you who listen have never truly been born from above the journey to God is too much for you. The journey to God is too much for me. The only way we will successfully make the journey to God is if we eat and drink the shed blood. The natural man does not have the strength or the power to make it to God. And if we don't make it to God, there'll never be a fresh revelation of his glory and we will die in the desert like the children of Israel. Oh, 
I pray today for you, my brother, my sister, that all pride would be laid aside, that you could recognize that you cannot make it to God on your own, that God has to open the way, he has to nourish you, he has to strengthen you, because flesh only produces flesh. I want to read a scripture for you. I was speaking with a dear friend this morning, and he quoted this, and my spirit leapt within me. I want to read it for you, please. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God has freely given us. This is what we speak not in words taught by human wisdom. Not in words taught by the soul, by the natural man. But in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual men. I'm speaking to you today spiritual truth. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. If we walk in the reality of the Spirit of the living God, we can discern, we can move toward God, recognizing that the work is too much for us. But the Spirit of God comes. The ministering spirits of God come, and they feed us. They strengthen us for the journey. I want to read for you a passage that would seem out of context, but it's not. found in Mark 11. Mark 11, 22. 
and faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. How many times, how many thousands of times have I read this passage? I've wept over it. I've not understood it. I've lifted it up as a promise of God. I've stood by faith on this promise. I have received some wonderful answers to this promise in my life. Much of the time it has been empty. I want to tell you why. The verse 22 says, Have faith in God. That is not a proper translation of the Greek word. Literally, it should read, have God's faith. Have God's faith. You see, it's not my positive thinking that moves a mountain. It's not my affirmations. It's not my incantations. I can't work magic. It is God who has the faith. And when God's faith enters into me as a portion of the grace that God has given to me, how does faith come? Faith comes by the, by the word, by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. God's faith comes as I read the promises of God and I see his ways and I see how he operates and I begin to listen to the Spirit and I come into agreement with what God wants. And then I stand in God's faith for him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, God, we want your will to be accomplished in my life. Very dangerous prayer to pray. My faith will never move a mountain. It's God's faith that moves a mountain. So I can say, I know that God will do this. God will do this. God will do this. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Just believe. Believe, believe, believe. Just believe. As my dear brother said to me this morning. No, you can't pump up faith like a football. Impossible. You can't do it. It's not man's faith. It's not faith in God that moves the mountain. It's God's faith in me that moves the mountain. Now, I share that with you because we have to be very clear 
that Elijah is walking in the faith of God, and that's why Mount Carmel happened. But he did not have a word regarding Jezebel. So he had no faith of God in his heart, so he ran. Where did he run? He ran to God to get a word. And so that second time, the ministering angel comes. The ministering spirit comes to strengthen him because in his own power, he could not do the work of God. Now there is a basic requirement. That requirement is that we be honest at Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the mountain of God. It is required that we be honest with the Lord God of heaven. Believe me, God can take your honesty. We have to be transparent with him about how we feel, about what our accusations are, what our bitterness is. We bring him everything of our heart. Elijah said, I'm done. I'm done being your prophet, God. Get me out of here. I'm no better than my forefathers. Get me out of here. Deliver me. And so he goes to the mountain of God. He gets there as it's evening, and he goes into a cave that he has there. And he spent the night. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This is 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, God saying, I didn't tell you to come here. What are you doing here? He answers, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your alders and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Whoa, it just flows out of his heart. He is upset big time. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Have you been waiting for the Lord to pass by you? Have you been wanting with all of your heart to just go stand in the presence of God that he would pass by? Do you remember the blind Bartimaeus sitting beside that road out of Jericho? Jesus is passing by. Blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing by and he begins to shout at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The crowd tells him to shut up. Be quiet. 
You're disturbing the master. But Jesus, hearing the cry, says, bring him here. They bring the blind man to Jesus, and Jesus says, what would you have me do? Master, I want to see. I have felt so many times like blind Bartimaeus sitting beside the road begging in the poverty of this nation. Well, I'm not speaking physically here. I'm speaking spiritually. In the poverty of this nation, we are a nation of utter depravity, utterly devoid of the Spirit. We are a nation given to wickedness. And some of us have felt the blindness and said, Lord, we would see, we would see the path of righteousness, open the gates of righteousness. And I want to tell you, I come and do this broadcast day after day, and I do it out of the word of Jesus healing me that I could see the spiritual reality, and I come and share that with you. waiting for the healing, for the revival, for the breaking out of God in this nation. I wonder today if you need Jesus to pass you by and if you would cry out to him. I can tell you today, if you will cry out to him, he will call you to himself. What is it you want from Jesus? Do you want money? Do you want opportunity? Do you want flesh? Or do you want to see in the Spirit? Do you want your innermost being healed and restored? Do you want the brokenness removed? Do you want to walk in the wholeness of God? great and powerful wind blew, tore the mountain apart, it threw the stones, it shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the storm. After the wind, there was a great earthquake and everything shook. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I've often wondered, what is the difference between between these two? The word of the Lord and the voice of God. They are two different things. The Lord sent 
his word, What are you doing here? And Elijah answered, The power of God was demonstrated. The wind, the earthquake, the fire. But now, Elijah's not going to see a Mount Carmel where the fire comes and burns up the rocks. Now, I love this truth. And I'm telling you, this truth was revealed to me by the Holy Spirit. It is not the miracles of God that we need. It's not even the healing of the sick and the raising of the dead. It is the gentle whisper of our Savior who is being personal with us, who is being intimate with us. It's one thing for God's word to come to Elijah and say, go to Mount Carmel, test with fire. It's one thing for God to say, go to Ahab and announce this. No, that's not what God is doing now. That's what he did initially. But his heart was so touched by the rending of Elijah's heart. God is a God of grace and mercy and long-suffering, and he now comes personally. It's as though, on one, he's talking on the phone to Elijah. He hears Elijah. And then it's as though God hangs up the phone and comes personally and opens the door. And in a gentle whisper, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Have I not been enough for you? Did I tell you to come here? And yet, I tell you, in the midst of all of this, God is utterly pleased with his servant, that his servant would use the last ounce of energy he had to the point of dying to reach personally reach the God of heaven. Elijah hears this gentle whisper. And all he can do is pull his cloak over his face and stand before the living God of heaven. When God comes, When God comes, everything is okay. Now, I love the word of God, and the word of God has come to me many times. The word of God came to me and told me to do radio. I said, Lord, I'll do it. But will you pay for it? Yes. And now for four years, four years... We've just having our fourth anniversary of this round of radio on Weva. I came because of the word of God, and he said he would move in your hearts to pay for it. I love the word of God. But I want to tell you something, my brother, my sister. The word of God does not begin to compare to the gentle whisper of my Savior who comes personally 
Revelation, the third chapter. He said, I'm knocking at the door, and if you will come and open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you. I will fellowship with you. God desires intimacy with his people. All Elijah could do was pull his cloak over his face. This is a one-on-one with God. A one-on-one with God. He gives the whole scenario again. And the Lord doesn't even deal with it. Instead, he said, okay, go back the way you've come. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, appoint Hazel, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shepot, and he's to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, do you understand what just happened? Elijah has said, I have had it, God. Would you get me out of here? Now, we're not going to cover it today, but soon we will. God said, okay. I see the pain of your heart. How about if I send my chariot, my driver down to pick you up? And then we'll spend time together in heaven. I want God to come and get me and take me. I want him to send his driver to pick me up. I want to go to heaven. I had a dream many years ago. I was climbing stairs to the top where there was a great cathedral. I was climbing those stairs until I was utterly exhausted. And I finally sat down on the stair and I said, I can't go any further. I'm done. And there was a winding road that came up and suddenly a limo pulled up. The window came down and the man in the car said, would you like a ride? I said, oh, sir, thank you. The door opened. I got into the limo beside this man. And he said to me, Where are you going? I said, I'm going to the house of God. He said, Why are you going to the house of God? I said, So that I can proclaim his goodness and his mercy and his love. He said, I'm going to the same cathedral. And many times you will proclaim for me my love, my kindness, and my mercy. And I awakened and I knew in my dream I'd had an encounter with Jesus. And that dream has sustained me on the journey. 
because I know what I'm doing. I'm proclaiming the love and the goodness, the kindness and the mercy of our God. I'm calling you out of darkness into the Elijah company. I'm saying, look, come and follow Jesus. Come and follow Jesus. We're out of time for today. My producer's telling me we have about two minutes left. I want to pray, but I also want to quickly ask you, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find our address. I ask, please, for your continued support and your forgiveness for not getting thank you notes out yet to all of you who have so kindly given to the work of God. Thank you. I treasure your your notes, your letters of encouragement mean everything to me. Thank you. Now let's pray. Almighty God of heaven and earth, I want to be with you. I want to live with you. I want to hear your voice, the gentle whisper. You are so kind and so merciful, so filled with grace and righteousness. Thank you, my Lord. Touch, touch your people today and turn their hearts to you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother and sister, my fellow pilgrim on the road to the celestial city. I'll talk to you soon. If you're over 50.